All right, so we have a former national champion in women's basketball and current former strength and conditioning coach, Allie Kirshner. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know what you've been up to in the last couple of years. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, yes, my name is Allie Kirshner. I, let's see, uh, I am currently the director of creative strategy. Uh, Ooh, which is there you go. Created for myself. <laughs> but actually, it's funny. Brett was like, "So, what do you want your title to be at Art of Coaching?" And I was like, uh, "Let me think about this." And so I picked a title that was aspirational because I used to not think of myself as very creative, um, but have since kind of taken that and, and run with it. But it's an ever-evolving process, as you know. When you're no longer right in SNC, you're in the entrepreneurial world. So I love it. I love what we do. Um, it's such a shift from the structure of strength and conditioning in that world. And um, it was a, it's a, a new fun challenge. So I'm happy to go deeper on, on what I actually do. Cause I know that's yeah. still pretty ambiguous. <laughs> no, like, I mean, so I just put it out. I mean, by the time this episode airs, I mean, other people have seen, but I put out there that I got, you know, fired from Towson because in athletics, you know, new head coach comes in, typically the position coaches get let go first. And then, you know, eventually the head strength coach, especially in football and basketballs. So, you know, selfishly, I am very interested how you had transitioned from the structure within college athletics into not structure, but creating your own. Yeah, I think the so the general context for the switch is that I grew up in the Silicon Valley. So uh, and both my parents are entrepreneurs. And, uh, you know, I grew up with this idea that people switch jobs all the time. <laughs> like, it's like totally normal to like, I, I like truly, I think my dad had probably six or seven different companies that he worked with, you know, oh, in wow. my childhood. and like, that was just because that's startup culture. Like you work with a company, it does really well, or it does poorly and you find a new job. And so I kind of grew up with the mindset that, you know, that's normal, that's accepted. You're looking for challenges and problems that you like solving. And that's kind of how you should pursue your career. Um, so when I joined this very traditional kind of hierarchical type job and career, um, I was, it was an interesting shift in that mindset. And I don't think, I don't think they even really understood, <laughs> um, the, the kind of trajectory and like, where could this go and all of that. But, um, you know, I think even from when I was a little kid, like I always dreamed of working and building something from the ground up, mm. creating my own company and, um, I think I'm in essence a feel uh, like filling that hole or that void that I have always wanted to by working with Art of Coaching because we're a small team. Uh, we do all of us do everything all the time. Like uh, <laughs> I think director of marketing, business <laughs> operations, booking travel, uh, running events, doing podcasts. So like it's everything, and I love that. Like I think I thrive in a little bit of chaos. Mm. So I think that's been a it's been a good kind of, I finally feel like I've kind of hit my stride in terms of like being challenged in that way. Cause how many years has it been that you're been out of the field? Uh, this will be, uh, just hit, just hit two. Yeah. Cause the tournament just ended. And so I left right after we won in 21. So it's been two full years. Yeah. Crazy. Do you, th do you think that you're hitting your stride cause you're in year two or do you think it's because you're also working for a former SNC coach who's now an entrepreneur. A little bit of both, for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, like it, there's certain affordances that we have all being a team of strength coaches because literally everyone on our team came from strength and conditioning. So we, we speak the language, we get each other. Um, I think even like the way we talk about business is very much in terms of periodization. And mm. I think that's something that entrepreneurs and business people would benefit from learning from strength and conditioning is this idea of periodization and like seasons, like the fact that, okay, let's say we have a launch of something. And I know you guys, you know, with strength coach network and stuff like that would have this similar idea, right? Like a launch is equivalent to a championship season uh, or a championship period. Right. And like you're, you're maybe um, tapering in the weight room. Maybe you're, you're changing the structure of how things go at practice, whatever that is to optimize for a specific event. And I think, you know, understanding that from like a microcycle perspective and then like the broader landscape of business, like, okay, where are we going? What do we need in the next year, two years, three years, five years? Because, you know, we're like living in the future, I feel like all the time as business people. Yep. No, absolutely. 
Yeah, keep going, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I'd be curious to hear kind of like how that's been, like you've done both. You've, you know, uh, you've kind of dabbled in business and entrepreneurial life and um, also strength and conditioning. Is that something you guys see as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the it's actually interesting you said that about strength and conditioning coaches and running businesses because, I mean, as a strength and conditioning coach or even just a sport coach, you're supposed to kind of project into the future and see something where it is and like, hey, I think you could be this. And all you have to do is work backwards from where you want to be and then take these nice logical progressions and hey, you're there. And like by doing that, um, I forget who I was talking to. Uh, it was Joe – fuck, I forget his name. Joe whatever. He used to work at UConn and he worked at Hofstra. Joe Staub. Oh, right? Joe Staub. My right? guy. Right? So Joe Staub was like – I forget who he was talking to, but he was like, uh, essentially, if we had more strength and conditioning coaches just in any of these roles, things would be better because they understand, you know, kind of that blue collar mindset. Hey, roll your sleeves up, figure out where you want to go, where are you at? How do you safely get there? But how do you also get there safely within, you know, pushing the extremes a little bit? No. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, like from that standpoint, like our science backgrounds and like understanding (laughs) systems and like dynamic systems particularly right like Mm. human body and um uh, the college athlete in particular are a chaotic dynamic system and like chaos theory i think really plays into that but like you're always managing all these uncertainties but trying to work towards something pretty specific and and within a tremendous amount of constraint so i think those principles transfer perfectly to business that is business um, I think the, the one thing that strength coaches <laughs> where the, where the transfer wouldn't happen as seamlessly is like what we were talking about beforehand with the financial aspect. Amen to that. And within the reverse engineering world that we now have as, you know, entrepreneurs running your own business, what is it like to actually have metrics that you're now more in control over? Because you worked in team sport, right? Like, okay, you could show coach, Hey, vertical went up, um, you know, whatever other metrics, but you really didn't have any control on the bottom line, but now you do like how different of a paradigm shift is that for any of our listeners that maybe don't work in the stopwatch sports? Ooh, what a great question. Um, it's, you know, yes, there's so much more control over metrics to an extent. I think, um, like, let's just take like the marketing part of it. Um, you know, I think, you know, with where social media and, uh, you know, just content marketing and all of these things and how they're going right now, I feel like you can control only so much. And that's why it's helpful to be, to have things like a newsletter, to have things mm. like a website, things like a podcast, where you do have a little bit more control over reach and visibility as opposed to this dark, deep black hole Pandora's box of social media. Which is like, like, for example, we hired a marketing agency in my first year um, who was going to help us run Facebook ads and Instagram ads. And, you know, they, they talk a really good game. And, like, when they pitched us, it was like, this is going to be your ROI and, like, um, ROAS, right? Like, return on ad spend. Oh, yeah. It was like <laughs> this, like, term that I had to learn very quickly. I was like, whoa, this is a whole new language. Um, and... I just remember being like, okay, this is great. Like, these are metrics we can track. These are things that are very, um, you know, statistical and analytical by nature. This is going to be good. Like, I, my brain thinks this way. And just actually getting into it and seeing the kind of shit show that all of this really is. Like, nobody really knows what's going on with Facebook or Instagram ever. You can't control it. The only thing you can control is obviously staying consistent, pushing a consistent message. And I think, like, having this multi-platformed approach. But at the end of the day, like the biggest return we've seen is doubling down, tripling down on the aspects that we can directly control, like our newsletter, like like our uh, uh, podcast, for example. And, you know, hearing you say that about like, you know, the ads and whatnot made me think about when you had to recruit an athlete, you know, we weren't going out and recruiting, but the coaches would bring them in and then we're kind of, you know, talking about ourselves a little bit. Do, do you see the the similarities in how you got to kind of approach? Because that you're still selling the program. It's just a different program for somebody else. Yeah. You know, um, I think I, I'm not really sure where it came from, but I, I always resisted selling uh, when I was mm. a strength coach. 
which I actually like fundamentally had some aversion to that term. And I think that's baked into the culture. I don't know where I, I don't know. I'd be curious if that's something that you ever heard as like a young strength coach, especially um, this idea of like, it's not about sales. It's not about selling. It's about like developing, you know, like buying and culture and, and creating those kinds of systems. But fundamentally you are, you are selling, like you're selling every single day in the weight room. It, like these kids don't want to put 400 pounds on their back. They don't want to wake up at 6 a.m. Like you're selling them on the idea of how this is going to make them better, how this is going to prevent injury, all these things. And I think um, that I forget what the actual question was, but um, <laughs> I think that that, <laughs> that idea of, of selling is something that um, I've had to I really embrace. And now I see it as it's not some evil, schemey, gross thing it's identifying a problem it's providing a solution through value and helping somebody get to where they need to go because you have the solution that could help them i think yeah um, i 100 you know, agree oh go ahead you go nando you guys you guys you know big big on language and, and communication and, and of course uh, most of the people hopefully know um what the art of coaching is is about but the sales thing i, I definitely had that feeling before when when you use words like selling or negotiation you somehow associate that with you know someone being um a car salesman or someone you know is trying to give you something that's to deal for them but not for yourself so maybe it just tracks back to the concept of someone selling you something as you know making a profit from yourself rather than just saying hey i have something that you need or well this is what you want and, and there's an exchange so probably money or interest gets associated with the word but you know the same as negotiation sounds like, like a hostage situation or like, or, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to stay on top of you. Yeah. Uh, mate, I, I read different, different kinds of book in English. And, and I, sometimes the, the ones that they're American based and they're like the FBI agent wrote this and the, the SWAT team, and they all sound like, you know, life or death. And, you know, I, I need something from you and, and someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. Whereas, you know, it could be that it's, but it's good for both. Like, you know, the coach gets the message across because wants to help the athlete and the athlete, you know, buys in instead of buying you know maybe that tempo between buying in and buying is, is different um you know buying sounds like you know hit the bait you know <laughs> wheel him in well, i i love what you're saying because i think you know we, we like to say uh meanings are in people not in words mm. and there's it's not just it's not just selling and it's not just negotiation because i agree with you i think they have this negative connotation in at least our culture. Um, but it's words like power and influence and manipulation. And if you actually like look at the definitions of these words, um, like the first definition of manipulation in the dictionary, what do you think that is? I think it's, uh, I mean, I know what, I actually don't know. I don't know. Oh, it is? Hands? Yeah, it's, it's to it's yeah. skillfully wield a tool or... Um, uh, All right, Nando. Right, exactly. The second definition is a little bit more of the traditional one, like to get somebody to do something, you know, forcefully or willfully. But the first one, like you think about it, like a physical therapist manipulates somebody's, you know, joints, right, through a range of motion. Like uh, a car, a mechanic manipulates the vehicle to, you know, it's it's all about skillfully wielding or, or moving or um, changing something in space. And again, it's how we've adopted these terms to think that they're negative when, you know, understanding really what they mean allows us to kind of reclaim what they can help us do. Cause power, power is not a bad thing. Power is like power in the strength and conditioning sense uh, has one definition, right? But power with people defines our capacity. Like it's a um, potential energy, if you will, to influence behavior or influence change. So all of us, three of us have power, what we call power bases, power, uh, power dynamics exist between us. And I think it's very common to think in a dynamic of two people, right? Like one person has the power in that situation, but really that's because we've defined power in a very binary way, power being like hierarchical, right? Which is one type of power is what we call legitimate power. So like a CEO has legitimate power over uh, an employee. Um, or a head strength coach has legitimate power over an athlete, but there's other kinds of power. So there's what we call like referent power, which is likability and trust. So 
like Justin, like, I feel like we have referent power. Like, I know you, I've met you, I like you, I trust you, which is what another kind of power that exists between us. And actually the strongest type of power is referent power because if somebody likes you and trusts you, they'll run through a freaking wall for you, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and that's someone, what I mean. That's what real strength and conditioning is. If you call someone like, manipulative, that, that is what like, it is. Who, who's going to say it's something positive? Like nine out of ten are going to say it's a bad thing. Like you're puppeteering, or you know, you're trying like I, I don't even know, like trick someone or you know, deceive someone. But right. like you said, it's, it's not really. I, I don't. I don't think anyone's ever used that that I know of, like that word in a in a good sense. Like, oh, he's so manipulative. Like he gets us all going. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the day that I just hear, I yeah, just love hear him. somebody on a podcast. So like, manipulative. Oh, man, love what, a, what a good bloke. <laughs> just freaking manipulative as all hell. I love it. I've met this girl. I She's mean, so manipulative. My mom's going to love her. <laughs> but I mean, if you think like, I, I've heard either, I forget who it said, but it was like, okay, if you use the negative connotation of manipulative, it's getting somebody to do something against their will, right? Mm-hmm. That is ultimately probably not best for them versus leadership's the same thing. Like you're trying to get somebody to do something that maybe they don't want to do, but you know ultimately is best for them. So mm-hmm. they are very different. It's just, I mean, you, you, we talked about your parents off air before, right? It's probably about just like how our parents have ingrained it in us and then all the power of the words that we use because like you did say words have power so it's how it gets passed down generation generation so we can start using the word manipulative for better if we want starting right now yeah and and i i'm kind of a nerd about this kind of stuff and i and i agree with that because like words words have changed definition over time like um what's the word uh passion right like comes from this word passio which it means suffering right like Mm. The Christ, um, right? With yeah. the, the, Mel the movie. Yeah. Um, and so that word used to mean something very different than I think what we would associate the word to mean now, which is somebody who goes after their values or their dreams Ooh. or their goals with yeah. vigor and, and um, tenacity, if you will. It's, it's associated with something much more positive now, if, if not has become completely cliche and trite. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think that we're beyond a point where all of the words that we're using now couldn't mean something in the future. So, and, and it's only going to be expedited with AI and, you know, technology that changes the way that we talk and communicate. But I think that's something that we feel strongly at Art of Coaching about is equipping people with the definitions for these words and for these ideas and terms so that you can then best use them instead of just like being scared of them or hiding from them. Um, like we need them in order to operate most skillfully in a very social dynamic environment, such as coaching, such as leadership, such as life. (laughs) I think that's one of the things y'all do a really good job of too, is like clearly defining things because as you, you know, you mentioned it earlier in one, in what you were saying, but if, you know, over at Art of Coaching, how to communicate better, us at Train Coach Network, we're bridging the gap between university and real life. And if you view it as, hey, I'm really just offering you, like this is truly the best thing. We're not manipulative in the bad term. We're not trying to sell you something that you don't need. It's There's a legitimate gap. If you think about research, you're supposed to find where the gap is in prior research and we're trying to serve everybody else. Like, look, there is an issue here and we're trying to fix it. And like you said, it's not a negative thing to be selling it. It's like, no, I have to tell you because I can actually change your life for the better. And once a strength coach can, you know, cause that's our population here listening to majority, but once they can make that change, I think that's when they can start to have confidence in themselves because, you know, we talked about the metrics before. They don't have a metric that they can kind of, mm, you know, put their flag down on. Yeah. It's, a, it's such a good, such a good point. I think, Oh man, abridging that gap and finding solutions. That is, that is business. That's entrepreneurship. And I think the more we can think of ourselves as business people, um, or in the business, we are in business. All of us are as strength coaches. That's something I never understood when I was in it. And mm. now looking back, I'm like, oh man, like there are so many things that I'm learning now about business that I wish I would have known and would have applied earlier on because I think they would have made me a better coach. Um, so I agree. What about, you know, you got out of 
college and you know now I'm out of college too and Fernando you're in you know pro you're in a professional team but I think I know I did at least I don't know about you Allie I kind of got sold the notion that you know universities aren't as much of a big business you know you're working at a university in a state school but I think that clear dynamics has a hundred percent changed now with NLI and whatnot. Like it is complete. It is amateurism at its finest, but it's, it's professional sport. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm fascinated by this NLI stuff. I think we have, I mean, like obviously a lot, it's all changed in the last two years. Like I actually left right before NLI became, you got out at the right time. I, I <laughs> you went out with your ring and you're like, see, figure it out, figure it out y'all. Like, and, and I, now I'm like, I, like, obviously I'm not privy to the conversations and what's really happening. I'm it's just as an observer, but it, it does strike me the fact that it's completely changed the game for the major sports. Um, I, I can't speak to the softballs and the soccers and the swimmings, although I'm sure there's some trickle down effect, but basketballs and footballs, I mean, you're seeing it right now, like with women's basketball, and I'm not even going to speak to the sports that I don't follow as closely, but the, it's become free agency, right? Like the transfer portal and this ability for athletes to say like, you know what, um, this is not the place for me. I can make a lot more money somewhere else, or the opportunities are greater for me somewhere else. And like the way that it's changed and like how fluid and, and um, chaotic it feels right now is, is something that I... I don't know how you manage that now as a coach. Like, for example, um, if an athlete can transfer this readily, does a coach have to then pander to the needs and wants of the athletes differently than they would have in the past? Like before, sort of like, I got to play the best, best five players and the best 11 players on the soccer field or whatever. And um, I make decisions for the best of the team but now you're trying to make the decisions based on, I need this player to stay here for four years. Um, what am, what do I need to say? What do I need to do? You're constantly, you're never, you never stop recruiting, right? Like, oh, because, no. and I don't, that's not that that's different, but I don't know. Like, what do you perceive has changed because of that? I see. I'll, I'll tell you what, I think Lane Kiffin has done a, he, there's an article that came out recently where he's like, look, I'm not saying the word family. I'm not do like it is a business now and we're just going to go about it as a business. Um, I think he also has done a really good job of saying, hey, we need to put regulation on it. Just like anything else, it's still brand new. It's in its infant, infancy stage. Um, go back and look at like, uh, who was it? I think Reggie White was like the very first free agent NFL player. And then that kind of changed everything because teams like that's how the dynasties were able to kind of happen because people couldn't leave and make things better. So I think regulation within the NLI is coming and they'll figure it out because like you said, the recruiting never changes uh, or excuse me, it never stops. And I think um, it's going to take some people to finally be like, Hey, it's, it's not worth like the fact that I'm never not doing it. Um, and then with the regulation and with, you know, rules on, cause it's just like anything else. Like when there's nobody overseeing what's going on, that's where problems are. And then that's when things will start to get better in my opinion. But we're just, we're in that transition time because like you said, it was only two years ago that you were still in it and this didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't believe how quickly it switched. And like now, like, so when I was in, <clears throat> I remember it was sort of like the athletes I was working with were faced with a decision of, do I go pro and make probably not very much money? Cause you know, unless we're, top 1% of the WNBA, for example, you know, I'm making a whole lot of money. Um, or do I stay and get my degree? And, uh, or do I fifth, do a fifth year? And almost everyone was like, let me, let me stay. Um, because the WNBA doesn't offer as much money, but now it's a completely different, different conversation. How long can I stay in college because of how much money I can make in NLI? I was just talking about that with my coworker, Amit, who used to work with women's basketball here. He works with men's basketball now. He's talking about some of the bank that these athletes are making. It's insane. It really is. Um, but, you know, all the more reason why we have to be educated in business and in mm. um, communication. Because we have an opportunity to then teach our athletes what we like and help them and mold them and grow them. Not, I'm not saying that we should be like go off and like yeah. be, hey let me broker this deal for you yeah. um but you know these are organic conversations that are going to come up anyway and um i think 
when you're able to, for example, have an athlete that like they, these people are managing brand deals and I know most of them have help, but, and, and speaking on a national international stage for in on behalf of million billion dollar brands, like, you know, like just insane. They have to know how to communicate and they know have to know how to speak about what they care about and what's important to them in a way that's authentic and a way that's um, just, to, gosh, I, I can't imagine as an 18 year old being able to put words to what I believe in or, or what I mean even, like I just, I wasn't at that level at that age. So a couple of things I thought about hearing you say that, you know, putting the strength coach hat on I instantly, I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. My athletes can make money not having to go work a job. I'm like, awesome. Like they don't have to, I don't have to worry about them staying up late or, you know, I've had kids here at Towson because maybe there's not as much money and they need to get money in their pocket. They're working at Domino's. They're working at the local pizza joint and, and they're on their feet and they're staying up late at night or it just interferes with the ability to train them. And it's like, all right, if they can make money without having to go somewhere, I love it. Then the other thing that I thought about is, you know, you were talking before we got on about how lucky you were to had parents, or no, you talked about it on the show, or I don't know. You were talking how beneficial it was that you had parents that educated you on money, and it was just a conversation. We, as strength and conditioning coaches, take pride in the fact that we touch the athletes all the time, and we have the ability to, to teach them emotional intelligence and all these things. Now, if you are one of those people like yourself who was educated, you can start to have those conversations because I know I've been the one that was like, hey, use a credit card instead of a debit card because it's easier in case there's fraud and you can use it like a, like, I think it just opens more and more conversations when we realize that it can be for the better. It's, it's like anything else. It's not inherently good or bad. It's how we handle it. I think I, I really, really appreciate what you just said because I think something that I really struggled with early in my career was this conceptualization of what my job was and how it had to fit in this little tight needy box <laughs> tight needy box yeah like you're you're in this little box here and then here's the athletic trainer over here and then like we're gonna just like exactly and it was the the way i defined my role was how my role was defined on paper mm. by the athletic department instead of by the needs of the athletes and even the needs of the team and sure that would expand based on like hey coaches need you to take on nutrition responsibilities on the road fine I get that. That wasn't on my like job description necessarily, but like happy to do it because it makes sense. Like nutrition, strength fits together. But like, if you'd ask me like, Hey, do you ever have conversations with them about money or about, um, like mental health stuff even, or psychology or, um, school and like things like that, I would have been like, yeah, I don't know. I don't really want to touch that because it feels outside the realm. And yet I, I don't think that's because you know, like, how is that different than me helping them with nutrition stuff? You know, it's like, not. I think at a certain point, like, of course, I'm going to refer out like, I don't, I'm not a mental health professional. But I can still speak to them about things that I, you know, like, I can speak from my own experiences, first of all. Um, and I do think that we have a responsibility to teach what we know, within the scope of how it's going to apply to them as an athlete. And I think I'd always been scared to touch these topics, maybe because I wasn't well-versed enough. Um, I'm not really sure, but I'm not saying like all <laughs> should go and like offer financial advice. So, like, you know, like a, just make sure like a line of athletes out there. I'm going to put that right across the bottom of this portion. Like this is <laughs> NFA, non-financial advice. Do your own research. Like, uh... right, like, like have my athletes say like, Hey coach, like how do I set up my 401k? Like, whoa, 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 like let's like not go there. Um, but you know, I think during COVID we saw this um, shift in what was needed from us as mm. professionals because my job no longer was about sets and reps. It was about checking in, making sure you're okay. Like mm. what are you doing to take care of yourself today? And even like, um, I remember at the time we wanted to like get our athletes signed up to vote. And um, it was sort of like, hey, like who can help the athletes get registered? And I was like, I can help. And I was like, God, that's like nowhere in my job description, right? Mm. But it was what was needed by our team at that moment. And I wasn't like, offering advice. I was just like, hey, let's let's help get you <laughs> registered to vote. And I think solving problems in that way allows you to 
redefine your role and conceptualize it more as a coach of life, <laughs> a coach of what's needed to grow these athletes into the best versions of themselves while they're within your, you know, your four walls. And I, how could that not help them become better people and athletes? And this all feeds into each other. I remember you talking about that at CVASP and you know, that, that's awesome. And again, you should be commended for that because I, I know I was doing, I wasn't doing that, but I, I know that for me, I was calling athletes, Hey, how you doing right now? And it's not, they're like, I'm not worried about your training. Like we'll figure that out later. How else, like what other time in the world has people been told like, don't go outside. You might kill your grandmother, somebody else. You don't know. You're a bad person. If you even go exercise at a park, you could get a, like, so it's just yeah. checking in on how everybody's doing. And I know other strength coaches that were doing that. And that's kind of, like I said, when I, when I think we all kind of started to realize like, oh man, like we do have that, that impact on the athletes. We have that power, right? That that's where you talked about the efferent, the one where like, they like you, right? Like the truly, when you do that, yeah. when you view them as a peer and that's when they're like, okay, yeah, okay, whatever you say. And I'll never forget it. It, it uh, happened for me when I was at Maryland. I was working with the cross country team. Showed up to one of their um, meets that they didn't think I'd go to. They're like, every ever since then, they're like, "What'd you say, Coach? Sure, we're doing like, because yeah. once they actually know, it, it's the it's the they don't know how much you know until they know how much you care. Blah blah blah. Right. Hundred percent. I saw that with my golfers as well. Like, I, you know, I think they are so thankful and fortunate. They feel so much gratitude for even having somebody from our realm care about them and, and want to be a part of it. And like, you know, same thing, like I'd show up at the golf course cause like, hello, golf is like the best team to work for in college right. athletics. Cause you're like, you gotta go hang out at the golf course. Hey, can day. you like, teach me how to suck less at this? Right, <laughs> right. I'd be like, listen, this is the one sport I'm not gonna pretend like I know how to do. Um, basketball, I sometimes would pretend like I knew how to do, but golf wouldn't but i was like hey like what any tips you got like you know um but yeah you just see it in like how how appreciative they are and it takes so little to gain so much from a, a population like that and it, it doesn't doesn't take more than just like the bare minimum of showing up and and caring about the, these kids changing subjects to something we talked about um off air why are strength and conditioning coaches so afraid to talk about money Well, I, part, I think part of it's baked into the culture of we've been conditioned to think that um, either we're, we're not, I don't, I don't think mm -hmm. it's, I don't think it's like we're not worth the money, but like um, whether it's, it's hard to prove our value um, and like stand behind like, oh, I had this winning record. Oh, I did this X, Y, and Z. Like it's hard to like prove on paper what we did um in which case it's like how do i show that i deserve more money um i think part of it's that you look around and see all these other strength coaches saying like oh i'm sorry about the money like i'm just in it for the i'm just in it to 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 work hard and and you know make a difference in these kids lives so i think you you grow up around other coaches like that and you're like am i evil for wanting to make some money <laughs> uh so I think it's partly that, and I think it's also <clears throat> uh, wow, it's so multifaceted. Um, because I think I think it's hard to talk about money with a population that has a scarcity mindset. I was about to say they don't have a lot of it. Like you, y'all now have. I mean, you're exposed to people that have much more money in the business world, right? And it's just. It's a conversation because we talked about it before with social media. I mean, money isn't the root of all evil. It's, you know, again, it's neither good nor bad. It's just a conduit of things that continue to make things go. Like, and you're now around it. So you're, you know, Art of Coaching, y'all are around, you know, higher level people presenting at Wells Fargo or whatnot. What would be then, okay, we know there's an issue. We don't need to digest it anymore. What would be your suggestion to our audience out there of like, okay, hey, I worked in it, I lived it, y'all are crazy, this is what I've seen better, like how could you make it better and, and teach teach them how to do that then, I guess. The first thing I'd say is, uh, it's so interesting, you're right, being around other populations and either even other fields shows you how 
twisted our mindset can be being around people who think very similarly, which is why echo chambers and getting then being isolated just around one type of person is very dangerous. But um, like, for example, we work with a lot of physical therapists and personal trainers okay. and even there are people on the private side of what we do. So like, it's not even business world. That's like, it's, it's one different side of what strength and conditioning really is. And they, they already have a much healthier side or relationship with money because they understand that they need, they need it. They need to sell themselves. They need to sell their services. They need to sell their practices to stay in business. I mean, I think that is one of the reasons why it's hard for us to talk about money because I think we don't inherently have to go out and sell our clients in the traditional way. And so we are kind of removed from the numbers a little bit. Um, and maybe that feeds into like just this unhealthy, maybe more, maybe it's a little bit more on the side of like why we aren't great at selling or we don't, we resist this idea of selling more so than talking about money. But anyway, um, <clears throat> in terms of solving the problem, I think once we can admit that we have an issue, that sounds like we're a bunch of alcohol or like a 12 step <laughs> program. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, first, I think people are starting to realize that there there is an issue because nobody wants to make 40K. Nobody wants to make, uh, you know, it depends on where you are in the country. Yeah. 40K here, uh, I mean, is probably equivalent to like 75, 80K, uh, which is really sad to say. Um, I'm in California, by the way. Um, but I think the way to begin to solve that is by more people presenting and, and, and speaking about it at these kind of conferences that we go to, like it has to be part of the continuing ed education mm. that we, like maybe there are CEUs required by our, our accrediting bodies. But y'all already tried that and got shot down. Yeah, we did. Like uh, <laughs> I remember Brett talking about it. Like he talked about it on a podcast. Like it's yeah. not hidden. It's not hidden news. I mean, it's like I said, it's, it's out there in the public already. I think it's got to, but it's got to come from, it like has to be their idea, right? Yeah. Like it can't be some, it can't be an external body coming in and suggesting it. Um, I think it has to come from within, but I think the more and more people with platforms that talk about it and talk about the importance of it, the more people start to understand. Like, I think what Jay's doing, like with CVASP, like, he, like it's not that he pushes financial literacy He's just interested in it. And so like he shares his own perspective, his own tips, his podcasts, books that he reads. Uh, he normalizes that like, oh, uh, the same way that you read that book about, you know, uh, accommodating resistance, I read a book about money and <laughs> investing, you know? And and uh, I think it like talking about money as a resource for what it can help us do in terms of provide more value to people. I think it doesn't have to be about making our like getting a bigger house or more cars or like the money can be a resource in a, a vehicle to help other coaches and to put out great content and um you know that that gets a little dicey too right because nobody wants to have a brand um but you know i think it's a it's it truly is nothing different than like how did we get how did communication and psychology even becomes something that we wanted to start talking about more in, in our field. I think financial literacy will be one of the next dominoes to start falling. <clears throat> I heard you, you know, saying the word brand. Um, and that's something that, you know, at art of coaching that you guys talk a lot about and anybody that's continuing to listen, I have purchased art of coaching stuff myself, um, multiple courses, the other like, so I can't highly recommend it enough. Make sure you guys check them out. But your brand, like your creative and, you know, that's in your title and that's things that y'all talk about. Um, why are coaches afraid of branding and what does branding mean in the outside of strength and conditioning world? Because again, y'all see it. So let me, again, everything that I'm talking about today, um, I, I was afraid of first. Um, so I want to preface that, like, by no means do I feel like um, I, I'm like coming in here like, <laughs> yeah, again, NFA, not financial advice, do your own research. This is no, just a no, no, couple no, of yeah. strength coaches talking like, yeah, 
just more so that like it's not like I'm I've understood how important these things are from the beginning. I, yeah. I had to go through the same process of relearning these very things because I very much had this like, whoa, brand, it's not about me. Like um <laughs> like I'm just trying to I'm just trying to work, you know, like I'm just trying to um Try to stay employed, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> really? Okay. And I do think that that's one of the things that kept me from feeling like um, I could talk about these things or like learn about having a brand even because you're you're taught that like you represent the school that you work Ooh. for. And I think that um, you don't want to diminish that. You don't want to um, say something that could come down poorly or represent that, that school or that team or that organization poorly. And I always felt a tremendous amount of responsibility to that. Even when I was an athlete in college, like you're taught like, Hey, if you're going to go out drinking, like do not, don't do wear not team issued gear. <laughs> like, oh my God. Um, and, uh, like I, I remember, Oh gosh, I could tell stories about that. Um, but anyway, I think like that was ingrained in me from even when I was a, an athlete, but to, to conceptualize this, right. Your brand is just your reputation. So like people who, people who say like, Oh, I don't, I don't have a personal brand or I don't want to have a personal brand. It's not about me. It's about the school I work with that in itself is part of your brand. Um, because your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room, mm. your brand is what value you can provide to the world. Your brand is tr just fundamentally who you are. Like if you, um, if you were to think about like, uh, the brand of Apple, right? Let's just talk about that for a second. Their brand precedes, like any product they make like if i were to ask you like if apple I, I can't remember i heard this on another podcast and i loved it like somebody asked the question um if apple had a hotel what would it look like oh it's gonna be pristine and clean and it's gonna be well done innovation exactly and like yeah very innovative probably like screens on everything like touch screen in the bathroom, maybe like a bidet that's like, you know, like you have platinum and like. Yeah, it's probably gonna be silver on the outside, a lot of glass. Right, yeah. right. I'll have a camera. Because... <laughs> 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 I hope not in the bathroom. Um, but uh, the, the, the idea that this like, they've been so consistent in the way that they produce and they even like, if they had a school, if they had a hotel, if they had any of these things, we already know what it would look like because of how consistent they are and what they portray to the outside world. And I just think that that's something that we can learn from that in the sense of like, who do we want to be? What do we want to show to the outside world? And how can we be mm. more consistent in, in, in demonstrating that through what we say, what we do, what we wear, um, what messages we, we put out there. And I think it's best to have a personal, it is actually fundamentally important to have a personal brand because and this is something that Brett's talked about. If you don't, and God forbid you make a mistake and you do something like, what are people then going to know about you? Like, what are people then going to say if you don't have existing work or an existing reputation that people know about and can vouch for? Build credit. And, same thing, right? Yeah. And so like I think, on a house or credit card. Exactly. And, and so like, you know, if everybody's allowed to make mistakes. And if you have an existing body of work and a reputation and a brand that People are like, no, 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 like, man, like, I, I know, I know Nando, like, that's a, that's a good dude, like. Yeah, another his, example. <laughs> his character, right, and his quality, and I think that's what we're trying to, that's another word, Nando, that we're trying to rewrite the definition to in people's minds is brand is not, and really it's just strength coaches. I think the rest of the business world gets it. Like, brand is not a bad thing. Brand, you know, is a, is a pretty accepted word in well, terms of importance. It, it, is, it is one of the things that the new world and the technology and the social media brings in. Now people are brands, you know, it's just not about, yeah. you know, you can have like, you can be a TikToker or an influencer or, or whatever. And you just, you just sell yourself. And that's why, you know, expectation and reality and how people portray themselves, basically your product, like from, from the, the more legal things to the more illegal things are like the, you know, different kinds of streams, but you know what I mean? Like you're just selling yourself the, or the idea of yourself. So, um, I think what you said back then, like strongly links to the whole why, what, and how like Simon, um, Sinek as well. So he uses Apple. He loves Apple as an example, but basically strong. Why? Like say, if you, you know, if you have to know the reason why you buy, um, iPhones, 
it's not just because the phone is good like many other phones are as good but people identify with the idea of what the company is so you said what would an apple hotel be like no one's going to stop and think oh they're not supposed to be doing hotels they'd be like oh they've right? done one i'm <laughs> yeah. sure Ooh, I'm what's sure that going to look like yeah yeah i'm sure it's like it's going to be you know the same idea of the phone but in a hotel let's let's try it and then if you know if Novo Hotel released cell phones, you'd be like, what? What does that have right. to do with, right. with the hotel? No, nope. makes no sense. Like, but it's the other thing, it's the same thing. That's a great, it's a great point. And, and um, Apple is by no means a perfect company. Like they're right, they, they're, their products break. Um, I have to take my freaking computer in every two years. Uh, I feel like, you know, like the freaking software updates, things don't work all the oh, time. Yeah, yeah. It's the, the, the overarching body of work that they have that creates this brand loyalty and like, and, you know, for the, you know, all intents and purposes, like, that's a brand that I will keep going back to. It's expensive as all hell. It, you know, it's not perfect, but I trust that product. Like, I trust that product to work. I trust that product um, that to continue evolving. I trust their brand in general like um and so that's something that like i'm going to continue giving my money to and um it's i think we can we can apply that to ourselves too is you don't have to be perfect you don't have to be uh you know some sort of like um what am i trying to say like there should be an an air of authenticity and, and um you don't have to be this robot right but i think that consistency and like showing up for people and being a good person and creating this you know, wearing your values on your sleeve and showing up for them and demonstrating them and providing value that over time will allow people to continue coming back to you and not that you have to have a product or sell something but like to want to work with you or put your name in a hat for a new job that comes about like those are the things that people are going to think about you know when they have to vouch for you we we had a, a guest in one of these podcasts that literally broke a client's customer's whatever's rib. Oh yeah, he broke his rib. Them and Ooh. didn't lose the client. So interesting that manipulating. And, and because tie it all up. <laughs> he was manipulate. He was he was a yeah. chiropractor. He was doing a manipulation and Oops, that's the rib really... like. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, didn't lose her. She was way. just like okay, like you know. It's huh. never happened before. Like, okay, it was an accident. Like, it healed up and didn't lose her. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think of, I think of relationships, friendships, you know, romantic relationships as bank accounts. Um, I think that you just have to make more deposits than you do with withdrawals. It's um, crazy that you said that, though. I was thinking this as you were talking about like the social media stuff. It's the same thing. You have to be showing up. Like, it's it's going to be weird for people to think about, but. You have to show up and you have to show consistency just like with a job, right? Like the algorithm wants to see you consistently doing things rather than just trying to be a, a flash in the pants. Nobody wants that. Whether you're the strength and conditioning coach or you're working in business or you're communicating, like people want consistency and reliability and repeatability. That's why they look for that in research too. It, it, it really is like everything always comes back to investing, which is why strength coaches need to learn about freaking money because it's not just that we can need to continue showing up it's showing up consistently, even in a down market, even in an up market, because like that compounds over time. And, you know, the, the, the coach or the individual that waits and tries to time the market and like shows up just when it's good and not when it's bad, <laughs> right? Like they're not going to make as much over time as the person that's, that's just there, that's putting out good stuff over time. And you know what, there's going to come a day that we're all going to need to make a withdrawal. Um, you know, whether we can't show up or, um, you know, we say the wrong thing or we do the wrong thing. And the person that has created this bigger, you know, nest egg, if you will, is going to be the person that ends up on top at the end of the day. And, um, yeah, I, I think that's something that I've had to learn with my own life. Cause I, I don't, I'm, I'm a pretty private person. I don't love sharing. Um, I, I love doing these kind of conversations. This kind of stuff fills me up, but like, Sometimes it's kind of lonely to show up on social media, as ironic as that is, because it's supposed to be social. Um, hmm. But I think that when you have value to share and you're showing up 
to teach or to imbue something of value to others, you sort of have a responsibility to to share that um, in some way. Otherwise, that's pretty selfish to keep that to yourself and assume that other people are, you know, going to learn that themselves. Well, then, Amen. Uh, I could, uh, like you said, oops, sorry. I was going to say, like, the whole social media is, it's kind of a paradox of communication, right? Because you have all the reach, but then is it, is it actually the message? Is this, it comes, comes down to the whole selling and creating attention and algorithms and like, you know, being manipulated and like wheeled into going whichever way. So it's like you said, might, you might have reach, but then might be not as deep as, as generally communicating or, or sending a message through. So I think Justin was about to, uh, it was a close up there, but no, yeah. I was, yeah, I was going to wrap it up because just like she said, I mean, these fill me up too, but I could, I could go for another two, three hours, but I want to be respectful of her time Please because don't. you know, she's, <laughs> um, yeah. If anybody has, uh, you know, continued to make it this far, where can they follow you? And, um, you know, we're going to link to any of the art of coaching stuff down in the description, but, uh, where can people follow you? Uh, yeah, uh, on social media. <laughs> yeah, the thing that we just talked about, about, you know, how you don't like to do it, but where can yeah. they follow you? Yeah, listen, like, <laughs> uh, I love what Nando said. I think the the medium is the message oftentimes. That's something that we like to say, right? And social media can be devoid of a lot of context, but unfortunately that's often where people first hear about us or find us. So um, I'd say if you do find me and you want to hang out or chat, um, let's do so on a more context rich medium, but, um, which would be like a phone or like a zoom or like what we're doing right now. But, um, you know, the, the DM never hurts. So we, uh, you can hit me at, uh, Kirshner.ally is my Instagram. I think I have a Twitter that I use sometimes it's Allie Kirshner. Um, so I'm sure you'll, you'll spell that for them, but yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, and that's that's how this whole thing started. Like, I think you posted something and I was like, I commented, I was like, hey, you want to talk about this online? And then it was like, okay, like, let's, you know, let's let's work out the details of email addresses and whatnot. So that way we can get this whole thing scheduled. But I mean, it, it wouldn't have happened without that, you know, vulnerability, putting yourself out there. But again, it's neither good nor bad. It, it just is. And how do we as humans, people, strength coaches, business people, entrepreneurs take advantage of it to our advantage? I, there, yeah, I think all these things you can make good. <laughs> um, you can choose to just ignore the negative sides of it and just like, let's use it for what it's best at and, and, you know, understand that it carries limitations with it. Amen. Well, thank you very much, Ali. Enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Thanks guys. Yep. Bye. Congratulations on making it to the end of the video. Why don't you celebrate by watching more videos just like it? You can also help us on our quest to placate the algorithm gods by liking, sharing, subscribing, and commenting. Thank you.